guys. Welcome back to Unwatchable. So glad to have you here. My name is Chloe Rodriguez and I am your host. Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to do a little bit of housekeeping. So I've been working on this podcast for a few months now and I really wanted to thank you guys for a lot of the support and good feedback that I've been getting. But something that's very important to me is to make sure that I'm producing quality episodes that I can stand behind. You know, I didn't really have any experience in this department when I started this podcast, and it's been a really great learning experience for me. I think I'm starting to learn what works and what doesn't, and I've been really proud of some of the episodes that I've produced lately. On um, The Princess Bride episode that just came out is probably my favorite of all time. I really felt like I started to hit a groove with that one. And I really want to continue that streak of episodes that I'm putting out, not just because it's time for me to put out an episode, but episodes that I really like and enjoy doing. And to do that, I decided it would be best if I switched around the schedule a little bit, just so that I can focus on making sure I'm writing diligent notes, getting my research together, and coordinating with my guests in a more organized way so that when I have them on, we're on the same page and everything gels a little bit better and we both feel more prepared. So in order to do that, I've decided to switch around the schedule a little bit and instead of putting out episodes every single Wednesday of the month, I'm going to be putting out three episodes a month. So for the first three Wednesdays of the month, you'll be getting a new episode, and then I will be taking that last week off just to give me some more time to catch up on things that I might need to watch so that I can comment on it for the podcast. I want to kind of play around with what is best for us here and what can help me bring the best content for you guys, and I'm really excited about this one today. I wanted to give you guys a warning for this week's podcast that it's not going to be as lighthearted and funny as my usual episodes are. I recently watched an ABC documentary called The Last Days of Phil Hartman. Phil Hartman was a very successful and hugely funny impressionist and comedian. He was most known for his role on Saturday Night Live and his voiceover work on The Simpsons as Lionel Hutz and Troy McClure. And I've been a fan of his for years. And if you guys don't really know his story, if you're not very familiar with him, he unfortunately passed away in 1998 due to a homicide. It was an extremely tragic event. But I found the documentary about it to be so interesting and compelling, very different from other true crime documentaries I had seen. And I just felt like I had to talk about it. And I brought on a guest who has experience as a writer and who actually hosted her own true crime podcast. She was really wonderful to come on and talk to me about this, even though it was a very dark documentary and very hard to watch. I think we were able to have a really good discussion about it, but I did want to lead with that introduction in case you guys were expecting happy hilarious fun times in this episode, uh, it's gonna be a little bit darker than usual. So let's go ahead and dive into it. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoy this episode. I have a very special guest, 
It's Marissa Schley. Hello, hello. So happy to be here. You're very professional. What oh, an intro. Thank you. I step up my game. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really excited to have you on. Um, a little bit of background on Marissa and I. We actually met because we're both writers. That's true. Um, and we worked in a writer's room together. Yeah. Which was really fun. It was a lot of fun, actually. That was a good group. Yeah. That was a good group of writers. Lots of talented people. Yeah, we had, um, I mean, you know, we had Sean on for the second episode of this podcast when I watched Hocus Pocus. Oh, that was the second episode? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I was telling you earlier, I was listening to it because I was like, wait, Sean was on? Oh, I have to listen to this because <laughs> you both are hilarious. Uh, I was like, done. Sean but, is a huge pull. He is a... Yeah. <laughs> Got a lot of fans out there. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good get. Was that your first writer's room that you... That one in? was, yeah. I'm very used to, I'm a solo writer, so mm -hmm. it was definitely a learning experience for me, uh, but it was a lot of fun. I feel like I, I took a lot away from that, mm -hmm. learned a lot, so. Because you write, but you don't usually do like like script writing per se. Yours is more like research-based, right? I've actually started to move into the script writing realm, but I did do a lot of research writing too because I have my own podcast, so mm -hmm. it's very true crime heavy, factual based. So I do a lot of that stuff, but just lately, um, my own podcast has ended, so I've been moving into more mm -hmm. scripts and, and feature films, trying my hand at that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I thought you might be the perfect guest to have on for this episode because it does deal with crime, and the interesting thing about true crime is, like, every true crime story has, like, very specific elements that, like, tie it through. Um, especially in like the build-up to things you start to see like everyone's always like this person is so charismatic yeah, it was the yeah. perfect marriage mm -hmm. blah 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 and then the other shoe drops yeah totally <laughs> yeah no it's definitely scarily like relatable in a yeah. lot of ways with true crime or it makes me think of people like i, I know someone like that <laughs> like, yeah which is terrifying is to think about it's so scary yeah yeah, I think um, true crime has really hit like a huge resurgence in the past few years. hundred percent. It has taken off. I definitely see why, though. It's, yeah. To me, it's very fascinating, and I've always been fascinated by true crime. But yeah, I was very surprised yeah. when you're like, hey, do you want to be come on my podcast? I was like, yours? It's very like fun. <laughs> and you're like, here's what we're doing. I was like, ooh, this is art <laughs> <laughs> well i mean i i did do one about um three identical strangers a few weeks ago so i have done one based off of a documentary uh, three identical strangers is not as dark as this one that we're gonna get into yeah i don't i have to listen to that because i don't know what you're talking about so. oh it's really good that, it's also on hulu <laughs> not the podcast just the documentary oh, you should check it out i'm sure is good <laughs> stop it <laughs> um but today we are going to be talking about the documentary the last days of phil hartman uh, this originally came out in 2019 on ABC. As soon as I watched this documentary, I was like, I need to talk to somebody about this. <laughs> this is like, it, it's crazy. I feel like, like the story is just so sad, but also has to do with someone who would be like the last person you would expect to be in this type of situation. Yeah. Um, and we were talking earlier about how when you were watching this, it was kind of reminding you of like Robin Williams and mm -hmm. the concept of this is the happiest person in the world and they're so funny and everything they do just brings joy to people so you would naturally assume that everything in their life is joyful and sometimes it's 
that's completely the opposite. Yeah, no, definitely. The my first impression, it's I think it opens on it's just like a quick clip of him like in Catalina, and it's like home videos, and yeah. he's just he's like always the jokester and always on and instantly yeah I was like this is Robin Williams where it's just he must be exhausted by the end of the yeah. day I don't know how he has like all of this energy all the time yeah absolutely and if you guys aren't really familiar with his work I would encourage you to go on YouTube look up some of his old characters he was a great impressionist he had some great original characters like frozen caveman lawyer um he oh he was he was really good at doing um Frank Sinatra. Yeah. He was just all <laughs> over the map. He was so versatile. So before we really get into this, I do encourage you guys to familiarize yourself a little bit with some of his work because I think because he did pass away so early in life. Suddenly. And, yeah. yeah, and so suddenly, I think uh he's not as much of a household name. I think he would be if he were still around. Definitely. No, I agree with that. It seemed to like he really kind of brought SNL back from like yeah. dying days back then. And I haven't seen tons of SNL episodes, mm-hmm. um, but I did go when I knew we were going to do this. I went back and I watched his audition tape for oh, yeah. SNL. Oh my gosh. I was, it's such smart comedy, like yeah. impressions of people other people doing impressions i'm like what it was (laughs) so complicated but still oh my gosh i don't know he was a genius yeah the thing that stands out to me and you guys can go check out uh, phil hartman's snl audition tape online i highly recommend it he's just like exuding confidence that must be the most nerve-wracking thing too and he's just up there like oh i could not i could not let's get into the documentary um this was an interesting documentary because of the way they start is so far away from his career. It starts in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. And they kind of introduce you to him as someone who is kind of lost and doesn't really like know what they want to do. They're just kind of like living their life, hanging out with friends, just kind of like floating along. Um and someone who's like not super serious about getting their act together yet. No, but he also seemed like he had a great time. Like he had these amazing opportunities seemingly yeah. just kind of fall into his lap. Like <laughs> he just like traveled around and was like an artist for a while, like doing yeah, all these like, things. I was like, he's what? like designing album, album covers, covers and yeah. stuff. I was like, who are you? Oh my gosh. Um, and I think the reason that they introduce us to him at that point, we're starting off in the 1960s when he's not even on Saturday Night Live mm-hmm. until the late 80s. Um, and I feel like the reason that they do that is to kind of show you what he was like before the talent industry was like even a thought in his head. Mm-hmm. Um, because generally when you're looking at a story of someone who had a lot of fame and success... It always starts off with like, and Daryl knew that when he was <laughs> that when he was five years yeah. old, he was gonna be a star, or and, that he was doing like community theater and all this stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's like once he decided what he wanted to do, it was like yeah. the next day he was in it. It's not like their typical Hollywood stories where they work for fifteen years <laughs> yeah. and doing all the things that you and I are doing. He was like, oh, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm here, and bam. Yeah, I mean, they just make it him. seem like they like he spent so much time just like, all right, whatever, and just I'll spent do this like. Today. Yeah, yeah, just spent like decades floating along and yeah. then all of a sudden was like, you know, I've decided that I want to do this and mm-hmm. then just did it. Yeah. Significantly, though, 
they do touch on his first marriage. Mm -hmm. Um, And this first marriage is really going to set the tone for what all of his other relationships are like throughout the course of this documentary. Yeah. Um, So his first marriage to his wife, Gretchen, they were married from 1970 to 1972. Oof. Uh, Very, very quick marriage. And something that they really focus on when they're talking about this is that when he fell in love with people, he fell in love with them like super quick, super hot right off the bat, mm-hmm. and then just like hard and fast fizzled yeah. out mm-hmm. like uh, like a roller coaster ride of emotions. Yeah, <laughs> I actually even wrote something down too from that first that first clip where I was like, oh, that's very interesting that they would say that. They said that Phil would pull away emotionally. That was his mo. Yeah, and I was like, oh, that's rough man to be in a relationship like that and to be like so in love with someone and then have your husband just like flip a switch like totally turn off Mm, yikes yeah i think the interesting thing about this documentary is that even though they talk about how talented he is and you know how he really is a great guy they don't shy away from talking about his own issues Mm -hmm. this pattern isn't something that he developed after his fame and success it's something that was to always a part of who him. he was, yeah. And they're talking about how, you know, he loved to like he loved the chase and he loved like the whole like steps leading up to a relationship and getting married. And then as soon as that would happen, he would be like, "Oh, this is a real person <laughs> yeah. that I'm married to now, yeah. and we're gonna have problems." Ooh, and yeah. was just yeah. not into it. I know it had to have been really tough too for those people being interviewed because. These are like his best friends and to be able to say like, oh yeah, he had some problems and he had like intimacy issues and couldn't connect with people. Like that's a big deal to be able to say that. So that for sure hooked me because it's not like your typical, like you were saying, here's this great guy and then here's what happened to him. It's like, well, he had some of his own issues too and all of that, I mean, compounded unfortunately and yeah. As we're going <laughs> to see. Know what happens, yeah. We got to move into uh, 1975, which is when he discovers the Groundlings. Um, for those of you who don't know, the Groundlings is um, an improv school. It's currently stationed in Hollywood, California. Um, you can go and take mainly improv classes, but there are like some sketch writing classes. You basically take like a pathway of courses until you eventually get the chance to audition for one of the smaller house teams and then after you're on one of those you can audition to be in the main cast and like the main cast is a big deal that's where like a ton of people come from uh lisa kudrow started out in the groundlings melissa mccarthy um i think kate mckinnon is also from the Groundlings. she's from one of them probably yeah. The Groundlings, yeah um so a lot of people come out of there including phil hartman and the funny thing to me is that they made it seem like he I've watched this documentary like twice and so (laughs) I don't know if I'm getting this wrong but they made it seem like he literally showed up to the Groundlings was watching a show there they asked for an audience volunteer and then he was just like okay and then started performing and then they like invited him to be there I didn't even think they asked for like an audience volunteer I think maybe they asked for like a suggestion or something as I was I as I understood it he just like got on stage and was like here I am like I cannot even imagine being in that troupe performing Honestly. and then here's this like hysterical man that comes up and just totally upstages you all 
Oh my gosh. I'm sorry. I would be not down. I, I would be, be so <laughs> upset. I'd be like, look, I took my classes. I auditioned. I worked my way through yeah. this. Like, there's definitely steps you have to take. <laughs> and if they were like, oh yeah, what do you guys think about that guy who just showed up? Should yeah. we let him in? I'd be like, no. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> worked my whole life for this. I know. I've seen the same thing. I was like, don't you dare do that today. <laughs> show up to a show and try to get on stage. Oh, that was not good. <laughs> Only no. in 1975. Exactly. They didn't yeah, know what was happening. Over for all you listening, do not go to the groundlings and do this. I mean, yeah. Chloe said I could. <laughs> I could be totally misreading this, but both times I've watched this documentary, I've had to rewind and be like, "Is that how it happened?" Yeah, yeah. I don't believe that. I thought to the be same true. thing. I was like, "Oh, jeez." Either that's really what happened, which is insane. Yeah. Or I like they just did not explain it well. No, I think that's really what happened. He just showed up one day. That is so insane. And then they like put him on a team, right? He was like, yeah. Then (laughs) so now all of a sudden, this guy who was like 15 years earlier, just like running around and like like dominating the improv world, basically. All of a sudden, he's hot shit. Mm -hmm. Um, And that leads into his second marriage with a woman named Lisa Strain, and they were married from 1982 to 1985. Um, Lisa Strain is an important part of this documentary. Mm -hmm. She comes in a lot to give personal testimonial, and it is really sad to hear about it from her because, like, this is a person who's had so much history. She was married to this dude. She's worked with him. Like, she was from the Groundlings as well. So she's worked with him in, like, a professional capacity. Mm-hmm. She was married to him. They had years of friendship. Yeah. Um, and so her parts really got to me. Yeah. <laughs> of this person who's like, I know that, like, there were so many problems. Like, our relationship was so tumultuous. But, like, you can still tell that, like, losing him is, like, a she hole in her. Him. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so this is when they really start to get into the cracks of Phil Hartman's issues. Mm-hmm. Um, she talks a lot about how on stage he was very vibrant, had a lot of character, was, you know, he's, he's loving what he does. He's exactly where he's supposed to be. That's where he's confident and where he feels safe. And off stage, he is reclusive. He doesn't like to get close to anybody um anytime people ask him personal questions he like does it he like answers in a voice yeah it breaks my heart it was really sad yeah that he like everyone was saying he would hide behind his characters and how Mm -hmm. in a performer in every performer there's usually like you can kind of see a bit of that person they're like not with phil he completely disappeared and you couldn't find any of his own personality Mm -hmm. That's so sad. (laughs) Yeah, it's really heartbreaking because you can tell that these people all love him. Like, these people who are talking about him, they're all like, you know, he was a great guy when he wanted to be. Mm -hmm. Like, he could have been, like, the best performer, the best person. Um, This is skipping a little bit ahead, but when he was at Saturday Night Live... They called him the glue because yeah. he held together all the relationships there. He was a naturally like gregarious person mm-hmm. when he wanted to be. And then like a switch would flip and he would just go inside of himself yeah. and like hide away. And Lisa Strain talks about how that deeply affected their marriage um, and kind of try as they might throughout the whole course of 
their relationship, as much as she would like try to pull things out of him and try to get him to open up, he was like resistant to it. And in fact, it made him angry that she would try to do that. Yeah, I think what's interesting too about this documentary is that they do start when he was a teenager because all the true crime stuff I know is always the childhood and what the parents were like and what he went through as a kid. Both him and his last wife, they didn't really touch on like those early development years. So I wonder... Not, of course, that, like, anyone's parents are to blame, you know, for how, what people do with their lives. But I do think it plays a big role in how, like, loving you are and able to make those kind of connections. Yeah. So I wonder what, like, his upbringing was like. That's true. They really don't get Talk into about that. his they, parents. Yeah, I don't know if it's because, like, the parents didn't want them to or, like, yeah. if people just didn't know. I mean, if he is such a reclusive closed off person maybe the people that they were interviewing don't even know like, yeah maybe he just literally never talked about it wait i have we have no way of knowing mm-hmm. based off of the documentary i know what that is about um yeah that that is a really interesting point they just like he's a teenager a, and, yeah, yeah they started a weird place yeah for sure yeah, yeah okay so in 1986 he starts his career at saturday night live he is part of the cast that kind of revived Turned the show. Around, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I really wanted to talk about why Phil Hartman was so good at what he did. Because throughout this entire documentary, people can't even really put into words why he was good. There's just like a consensus that he was really good. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's something that fascinates me about Phil Hartman is like, Outwardly, he seems like he's just kind of like a run-of-the-mill guy. Dude, not, yeah. yeah, he's not like he's not bad-looking, but he's not like drop-dead Hollywood gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. He's not like a ten, right? And he like he seems like he would be someone that you don't really like give a second glance to. But I think that actually like works to his benefit in the world of sketch comedy. Uh, sketch comedy is very specific because. A lot of it it boils down to things that you might not even have any control over. And for some reason, all of those things like perfectly aligned within him and like worked together so well that it actually made him perfect for what he wanted to do. He just, there was something like charming about him when you watched him. It just, I don't know. (laughs) I was getting drawn in to all his little SNL clips on YouTube where I was like, I'll watch this one too. I'll watch this one too. (laughs) I, um, so I wrote down some notes about how I, as somebody who has written sketch comedy, mm-hmm. who's performed sketch comedy, someone who's very into the world of Saturday Night Live and just sketch in general, um, the different things that I kind of think played a part into what made him so successful. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> and it's interesting because a lot of these things are things that you can't learn mm-hmm. necessarily. Yeah. Um, so one, he had a very versatile appearance. So he can play the handsome guy and he can play someone who's not supposed to be the handsome guy, mm-hmm. um, just depending on how you dress him. If you dress him up, he can look like the lead character. If you, or, but he has like a distinguished enough face to pull off like wigs and costumes, and yeah. he <laughs> has a physical appearance that you can easily transform, which is hard to do. That's something you can't really that control about do, yourself. Yeah. But you can see it all the time. Like, how many times have you been watching? Saturday Night Live, and you can tell that, like, 
no matter what wig they put on this person, no matter what like prosthetic they use, like I still know that actor. Like, yeah, that's still Aidy Bryant or whatever. Well, that goes into what they were saying that you couldn't see Phil in his characters at all. That he yeah. could just like lose himself. Yeah, he was able to like perfectly just take like... on that persona. Mm-hmm. Um, another aspect that is also something you can't choose <laughs> is the tone of his voice was really unique. Mm-hmm. He had like a very distinct voice that you can recognize as his own, but he can also transition it really well. So I'm looking at like some of his roles and he perfectly transforms from like Lionel Hutz on The Simpsons, who's like kind of a buffoon, uh, Troy McClure, who is like a suave, like debonair movie star. They essentially have the same voice too, but he can just like do it so well that you can still hear them as two different characters. Uh, yeah. And then his characters on SNL, like Frozen Caveman Lawyer, <laughs> he can also pull off, there's something about his natural voice that works so well for different impressions and different like types of characters without him even changing it that much. Yeah. <laughs> which is so strange. It's frustrating how talented one person can be. <laughs> yeah. And that's not something that you can teach because how can you teach to like, okay, Grow up and develop a voice yeah, that yeah. sounds good. Um, he could have been working on it for years in his childhood. We'll never <laughs> yeah, know. Exactly. He has a completely yeah, different voice. That's why they cut it all out. We'll never know his voice. He actually secrets. sounds like Gilbert Gottfried. <laughs> <laughs> it's just an act he's putting on. Yeah. Well, good for you, pal. Fool us all. Um, and then the other parts that I think really played into his success are... His lack of ego, Mm. while he is like a confident and charismatic performer, he's, he was also someone who was willing to give scene partners the joke Mm -hmm. or give someone something else to contribute. And they talk about that a lot in this documentary, that that's why they called him the glue because while they were all running around having their own little tyrannical episodes Mm -hmm. and ego tripping, yeah. yeah. He was just like, all right, I'll do whatever you guys want. I'm just happy to be here. Mm-hmm. I just like doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that natural likability also made his characters likable. Um, I think that that's something that audiences just pick up on, and there's no explaining how. But when someone is really likable or very charismatic, you can feel that through a screen, which is also something you can't teach. Yeah. So he just had all of these elements that were working towards him. And that's kind of what makes this even sadder. Yeah, it really is. If you just think about, you know, where he could be at this point, Mm -hmm. if he were still around, he would be in his early 70s. Oh, my gosh. Which is insane. He would have had, like, a whole other chapter of his career. Yeah, and he wasn't just a performer. He was an SNL writer, too, right? Yeah. Yeah, he was, like, in it. Let's transition into, I guess, the the biggest element of this documentary that we have not touched on, and that is his relationship with a woman named Bryn. Bryn Omdahl. Uh, They were married in 1987, so right around the time that he started Saturday Night Live. To put it lightly, (laughs) this is a tumultuous relationship. Um... How many people listening do you think don't know what happened? We all know he died, but I didn't know any of the details. Do you think a mm-hmm. lot of people are super aware of like what actually happened and what went down? 
Well, I think I think a lot of people just know Phil Hartman as just like, oh yeah, I've heard of him. He was on Saturday Night Live and he was really funny and blah, blah, blah. I don't know if a lot of people know that he was murdered. Yeah. And of the people who do, I don't know if they know all the details and just how crazy the story is. I agree, yeah. I don't think he's a big generational name for yeah. us. I think, yes, in like the sketch comedy world, for sure, but not so much just like your everyday yeah. people. Absolutely. And I know, for me, even someone who's like a big fan of Phil Hartman, I knew somewhat mm-hmm. like elements of the story, yeah. but I had no idea that no, it was same. as crazy as yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm so curious to know if people are like, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's dive into it. Okay. Um, the way that they they set Bryn up as a character, they don't pull any punches with her. They mm-hmm. are not positive about her right from the get-go. No. Um, <laughs> the, really, the only thing they give her was that she was pretty. They're like yeah. the blonde babe kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, they kind of portray her... And, I, you know, maybe she did perfectly fit this stereotype. I, mm-hmm. I have no idea. But they really, like, dig into the stereotypical, like, she was a trophy wife. Mm-hmm. She was beautiful. He only really liked her because she was beautiful. Mm-hmm. And she was insane. Like, yeah. essentially. Yeah. Like, they're not super nice about it. Yeah. Um, which, obviously, she is the main antagonist in this story. Mm-hmm. But there's also a lot of elements to her that you know, you have to have a level of sympathy for There was a lot of heartbreak. I was surprised yeah. at some of the stuff where I was like, oh my God, I feel in this moment, I feel really bad for her. Yeah, And absolutely. I wasn't expecting that, but two sides to every story. Yeah. So the way that they introduce her is that, you know, Bryn is this beautiful actress. She has set her sights on becoming like the new it girl. Mm-hmm. Um, she's charismatic and she's fun. Um, but she does have a lot of her own insecurities. At this point, Phil is like two years out from his last marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, I think, I think they actually got married like two years after the end of his previous oh marriage. Gosh. So this is also another example of him just diving right yeah. in. Um, so they describe this instant connection between these two people. He is completely like over the top enamored that anyone this beautiful would want anything to do with him. Mm-hmm. And she is... So is sad. Yeah, which is... Which is, like, a terrible thing to say, but that's, like, they... They genuinely describe that that's how he felt about himself. Mm-hmm. He's like, I can't believe that someone who looks like this... Wants would, me. Yeah, yeah, wants anything to do with me. And on the opposite end, she is really attached to the fact that he has a good career. Mm-hmm. And he is making strides for himself. And someone sums it up... I forget who they were interviewing, but they summed it up perfectly when they say he wanted a trophy wife and she wanted a career. Mm-hmm. So seemingly this was a match made in heaven because they can yeah. each use each other for what they want. I think she definitely went into it expecting more yes, <laughs> than he did. <laughs> but, yeah, this is definitely when they they talk about the fact that, you know, she was obviously using him. But he's also responsible for his own patterns. Mm -hmm. And they've shown throughout this documentary that he has a pattern of falling in love fast, having it crash and burn, and essentially just like struggling to stay afloat every time he's in a relationship. And not really being someone who knows how to quite do that. So these are two people who have 
really big personal issues mm-hmm. to work out and fall in love with the idea of being with each other. 100%. Yeah. And uh, that does not work out. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know how, I don't know how else to say it. Yeah. Um, so... I was telling you earlier, I think it's very hard to, and for me personally, I won't date someone who's directly in my Mm -hmm. own industry, not like the film industry overall, but for like an actor to date another actor, Mm -hmm. in my personal opinion, it never works out (laughs) because I think you can, as happy as you want to be for Mm -hmm. your significant other, there is always, I don't care who you are, there is always that little twinge of jealousy. Like I want that level of success too so I think it's a very mm-hmm. risky game we play for like a writer to date a writer or do you know what I mean yeah. it's just I feel like they can be together and support each other mm-hmm. so long as they maintain the delusion that they are ultimately <laughs> more talented than the other person <laughs> okay like so. I can be really talented I can be really happy for you yeah because I know that I'm still better still than you I'm better so you go do your thing Congratulations. Which is like, I guess not the best. I, but people, I think you can still make you it work. You have to lie to yourself. Basically. To, to make it well, work. I or think, maybe you are the better one. I don't know. <laughs> I think uh, you just have to... Because I think if you think of it the opposite way and you think about it as this person's being more successful than you and they're more talented than you, then you're just going to resent them. That's what I think. I think in the, in the long run, those resentments, those tiny resentments mm-hmm. build up along the way. Yeah. And that's hard. That's a hard thing to let go. Yeah. And I can only imagine like, so this woman is already starting off from a place of insecurity mm-hmm. and chooses to attach herself to somebody who... It doesn't seem like he's really had to struggle to get like, to where no, he is. No. <laughs> like I know, and she's working so hard at it, and he's just like yeah. getting things offered to him and mm-hmm. dominating SNL. That has to be difficult to watch. <laughs> yeah, which I think, I mean, as much as, you know, she's obviously unstable and obviously not in a good place and is maybe not with him for the best reasons i can sympathize that you know from both ends i think what this documentary does well is showing that like you know she was the person to pull the trigger literally like was the cause for both of their deaths but also he was victimizing her just as much as, like, she was victimizing him. He had a hand in it, for sure. And it's very sad, but he did. I mean, the little things that he did and the way he treated her, my God, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, it's just, it's very sad and, like, scary to watch this documentary and be like, ooh, like, I hope I'm never, like, in this situation of just (laughs) continuing to be with someone who we're both just terrible for Mm -hmm. one another um so at this point in the documentary they kind of transition into his family life with her Mm -hmm. so they're married um they have their first baby this is an interesting story this is the part of the documentary where they start to shift gears from like oh you know they were just kind of using each other and it was maybe not a healthy relationship but whatever to there were some major red flags mm-hmm. and like major like scary things happening at this point. Um, so so let's have a baby. <laughs> yeah. So they have their first child together. 
Uh, Phil Hartman tells his wife, uh, his ex-wife, Lisa, who he's maintained like a decent friendship with, mm-hmm. um, and she writes them a letter of congratulations on your new child. Like you're gonna be a beautiful family. Mm-hmm. And letters, oh my god, who sends letters? I know, wow. (laughs) Very 80s. (laughs) And Bryn responds with a two-page death threat. Responds like a true psychopath. Yeah, exactly. Um, And Lisa is understandably scared out of her fucking mind and calls Phil and is like, what is happening? And he says, oh, you should have seen the letter that she wanted to send you. Which is like the first time in this documentary where like a shiver just goes down your spine that was the first time where i think i started to grasp how insecure she was Mm -hmm. because i'm like it's a letter congratulating both of you and like on your growing family and all of this and then to take such an intense angle to it and whoo oh yeah i think um as someone who who consumes a lot of true crime obviously and you're very used to talking about it um, I feel like every time you're going through a true crime story, there's like a point of transition where it transitions from being like, okay, like not maybe, the best. Yeah, maybe this wasn't the best, but like we've all been there. Yeah. To taking a turn to being like, this is the point of no return. Mm-hmm. Like this is the point where like this person either needs to like make a decision and get out or yeah. try to get out. Yeah. Or like things are just going to get worse mm-hmm. and things only get worse from here. Yeah. Um, so at this time, I mean, I don't think he helped very much either. Oh, no, I don't think he was making his wife feel secure at all and loved and valued. And I think that also plays a big role in it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so at this point he is in New York city doing SNL. She is living in their LA mansion. Um, and you know, she used to have this idea that he was going to kickstart her career. Now, all of a sudden, she's in Los Angeles by herself raising their children. And he... I, I mean, if you want to kickstart your acting career, the thing you don't do is have a child. So, <laughs> I mean, no offense to her, but, like, what what did you think was going to happen now? I don't... I think she honestly thought that, like, she was just going to ride his coattails to success. Yeah. But the problem with that is that they don't really make it seem like she had that much talent yeah like you need both you need talent and you need opportunity and i guess she did have an opportunity with him to Mm -hmm. make connections but she just doesn't have what it takes to actually go through yeah and i wrote this down too uh they said that he would tell his friends that she wasn't acting material yeah that is so intense yeah and i hope she never heard that from him can you imagine your husband I don't think he ever did say that to her, but Mm -hmm. she had to have picked up on it because of all of the things he did and all of the ways he said he would bring her on and never did. Mm -hmm. She had to feel just not good enough. And to think that your husband doesn't think you can make it. Yeah. It's like, imagine you are the most insecure person in the world and you know that like the person that you presumably love the most in the world thinks all the bad things that you think about yourself as well. Like, they agree with all of those things. I know. And to already be someone who's in such, like, an unstable mental position, like, I do feel for her. I do. It's really, it was really sad. Um, This is, like, they really dive into, like, this is, like, an hour and 20 minute long documentary. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe 20 minutes are happy. And, like, an hour is just them talking about 
how like terrible this relationship is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for a second I was like, is this a two-parter? Because it's nearing the end and they haven't gotten to like what actually <laughs> happened there because there was so much going on in the relationship. Yeah. Was, and I was definitely like wrapped up in it. But I was like, it's almost going to end. Like, yeah. is there another series that I don't know about? I, I think usually in documentaries like this, there's more of a lead-in where it's like, and for a moment, they were the happiest family. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's like some kind of lead-in where they're like, and this was good, and this was good, and mm-hmm. it's like, the audience isn't going to expect that things are about to take a turn. Yeah. But they just like... It was like, here's all of the things yeah. that happened and why it's bad. Yeah, yeah, right off the bat, they're just like, they literally say one sentence that's good about about her and then the rest of like and, the, the but, hour, and that one sentence was that she was like a leggy blonde like <laughs> yeah. that's all she gets I mean yeah. again I'm not like defending her at all but still it's like yeah, my exactly. god I feel like she was treated that way probably her entire life so yeah, that absolutely. has to weigh you down and then the rest of the documentary there's like there's no hope there's no option exactly <laughs> yeah. also I feel like um I feel like obviously we we are having sympathy for her. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say we're defending her no. necessarily, but I do think that what the documentary does well is present sympathy on both sides. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying in any way that Phil Hartman like asked for this Des- or like deserved, deserved this. No, no, no. Not in any way. I'm just saying th- I think that they present in this documentary that both of them had issues and his issues were definitely like fueling the flames for her issues right and vice versa yeah um this is when i think he really starts to become afraid of her um so this is the point in the documentary where we're switching out of his time at saturday night live and looking into what is he going to do next in his career at this point you know he's doing work on um the simpsons he's on third rock from the sun He's kind of trying to establish a name for himself outside of sketch comedy, and he's going to start developing either like his own variety show or Mm -hmm. his own sitcom. Um, And all throughout this time, he is feeling so much pressure to get Bryn a job. job, Um, And you, you see these people talking about conversations they had with him where he's like, yeah, you know, uh, or we could put my wife in the show, (laughs) and uh, yeah, let's give her a part. And they're like, I think there's a part where they specifically ask him, well, is she funny? And he says, oh, she's funny in her own way. I know. Which is, if someone ever said that about me, as someone who wants to do comedy, yes, that's like the worst thing someone could say about you. Uh, Yeah, and they're like, if she's the best for the part, then it's hers, and he knew yeah she wasn't the best for any of the parts they almost make it seem that like his sitcom and his like variety show didn't go through because he like didn't want it to because yeah Yeah. like it's like he was pushing for her but then he ultimately knew that she wasn't going to be good for it so then he just didn't want to do it at all this conflict like i think he did want to help her i think he did but i think he knew she didn't have what it takes and so then how do you let that person down yeah absolutely and that's just, that's an enormous amount of pressure to put on someone mm-hmm. where you're basically like, my ability to love you is contingent on your ability to provide me with work. To get me, and not even just work, a 
huge fame. industry fame yeah. yeah money fame all of the for- i mean everything that goes with it yeah that's not an easy thing to do yeah i, <laughs> I mean, mean he made it look easy <laughs> yeah for the rest of the world honestly i would that's be pissed if yeah. i was busting my ass and then he just comes out of nowhere mm-hmm. and like i think that definitely did is like the main source of strain on their relationship yeah um which i think it's so funny because for me I wouldn't want to feel like I only made it because, like, someone made a director give me a part. You know what I mean? Because then I would always wonder, well, was I good enough? Yeah, So I thought that was very interesting that she was like, no, you do whatever it takes to get me a job, where I would be more like, I don't need to be in your show, but if you can make a call to a producer and get me an audition, like, that's the difference. Do you know what I mean? She didn't seem like she wanted to have to work for anything. She wanted it handed it to her. And you can't do that. Because at no point do they talk about, like, well, Bryn was taking acting lessons. Exactly. Or Bryn was doing this. She wanted his shows, his stuff. Like, go audition for your own thing. I'm <laughs> sure he can open up some doors for you. Yeah. But you don't have to be, like, in a starring role on his show. Yeah. That's too much time with your husband. <laughs> <laughs> That's not going to work. That's yet. too much. Well, we see each other every day while we film. And then we come home and we still see each uh-huh. other. And then it never ends. <laughs> Sure, that was his dream life. Honestly. Um, <laughs> That's probably why he didn't want it to work. I'm sure he would have pushed a little more if it was like a different show yeah, somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. That's, I mean, even if I was married to someone, I would feel like so weird asking for I that. I would too, yeah. Even if I was like, hey, you know how we've decided to dedicate the rest of our lives <laughs> to each other? Yeah. Like, I would still be too embarrassed. But you would still ask for like a smaller favor. Do you know what I mean? You wouldn't demand... Yeah, to, to have like some the best of the best, like the top job right off the bat. Yeah, or maybe I, you would. I think I don't if, know. if I had, I guess if I felt I had something to contribute. Yeah, like if I was like, oh, I you know this person and they're making this show and it's like I know right I can do alley, well yeah. and I won't make you look bad by right. submitting for it mm-hmm. or something. Maybe. <laughs> I'm I'm so bad at asking people for favors, really? so maybe not. <laughs> I'm not one to be like. Yeah, you know this. Here's why I'm great. I'm so bad at networking. Every time really? I go somewhere and they're like, so the name of the game is networking. I'm like, oh no. Because <laughs> it feels so awkward. It I de- de- It's so awkward. I yeah. don't like the feeling of being like, I hope this person doesn't think that I'm trying to like use them for my own personal But we game. all are. I mean, that's the whole business. <laughs> I mean, I'd like to think that I, I'm just trying to get to know somebody. <laughs> you, might be, you might be the only one who's trying to get to know people. The rest Maybe. of us are like, here's my headshot, here's my card, I'm going to send you over a sketch today. What's your email? <laughs> I wish I was like that. I think I need to be more like that because I'm just like, if someone is like, yeah, I did this successful thing, I'll just be like, cool, you're really good. And then I just build them up. And I'm like, you're the best. And then I'm like, I'll never speak about myself. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, So he ends up having a part on the show News Radio. Yeah. um, Is getting pretty well known off of that. He's doing well. He's doing movies. He's hosting Saturday Night Live. Mm -hmm. He's really taking advantage of his, like, new schedule to pursue other projects. 
And this is when we start to get into Bryn's substance abuse issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just gets better and better throughout the documentary. <laughs> now, I, think, I think they figured that out. Yeah, we've got, now we have death threats. Now we're getting into cocaine. Woo, it's a uh, party. This is a light and fun documentary, <laughs> yeah. you guys. If you just want, just want some background noise. This on. Um, so... Their relationship is deteriorating rapidly. She has started to party more and more. She's doing a lot of cocaine. Um, People are noticing that he's starting to show more signs of abuse. He's coming to work with like scratches on his body, constantly talking about how much they're fighting. Um, I believe he has a conversation with Lisa where she's like, well, does Bryn have a gun? And he's like, of course she has a gun. Like she has a gun for protection. Bryn is getting like progressively more and more jealous. And at this point, it's not just about his career. Mm-hmm. And it's not even just about females. She's jealous of him spending time with his male friends. She has like suspicions that like whenever he's in, he's like somewhere with his male friends that they're like in a secret relationship, which. Yeah, yeah, that was weird. But then again, too, I saw the other side of it where it really seemed like he was never home yeah and she has children to raise and she's just like by herself in this marriage that i she thought would have been totally different yeah she said he was a good father yeah when he was there but he just never seemed to want to be there so that would piss me off too yeah not to the point of like cocaine but maybe just a mushroom or two just a little (laughs) spring a little dab (laughs) No, but do you know what I mean? I was just like, as I was watching it, and they're like, he's doing these movies and this show and SNL yeah. and trips to Catalina. And I was like, but is he ever home? Like, where yeah. is where are his children? Where is his wife? Yeah, He didn't want to, like, take her out on, like, his boats with him. That would really hurt my feelings. Yeah, absolutely. It's They, they paint her as somebody who essentially was starved for fame and was Mm -hmm. looking for that to fill all the insecurities that she was feeling about herself. Yeah. And then they portray him as somebody who is incapable of, like, actually leading, like, a complicated life. Like, Mm -hmm. he's averse to any sort of confrontation. He doesn't like it when things are too real. Yeah. He constantly needs to have like this front and this character. Mm-hmm. And even when he talks to people about the fights that he's getting into with his wife, he's again doing it like in character, I like know. in a voice. And so she's incapable of like it's almost like she has absolutely no career and her whole life is dependent on this relationship. Mm-hmm. And he's completely dependent on his career for his happiness. And doesn't know how to be in a relationship. Yeah. Which is just like, just disastrous. It's just playing with fire. Yeah. Um, yeah, they talk a lot about how, like, she's jealous of his male friends and she wants mm-hmm. him to hang out with his famous friends more. I know. God. <laughs> which, <laughs> could you imagine if someone was like, I cannot hang out with you anymore because you're not famous? You're normal. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, peace out. Um... They do say that he is careful to, like, not piss her off, mm-hmm. though. Like, he... I would be, too. At this point, he said they were, like, fighting every night. Yeah. Yeah, he's definitely walking on eggshells. Um, he goes to, like, extremes to avoid her 
wrath. He's like sneaking around to like see his friends, like any of his friends, much less Lisa, his yeah, ex-wife, ex-wife, who he still has a friendship with. Um, he's faithful. They do actually like point that out. I, I was waiting for there to be a turn where it's like, and then Phil was having an affair with like mm-hmm. all these women. But they do make it very clear that like, as unhappy as he is, it does seem like he cares about his family. He is a good dad, mm-hmm. and it's he is faithful to his wife. Like, he wants it to work. He's, like, that, desperate for it to work. That was kind of all of his marriages. They're like, he would fall hard and fast, and so I immediately assumed, oh, he's going to, like, cheat on her, or something's yeah. going to happen that's going to, like, really set her off because he has this reputation for just meeting these beautiful women and becoming borderline obsessed with them and, like, this idea of, like, what he thinks love is or marriage is. So I was... I mean, it's so sad when you're, like, surprised someone isn't cheating on their wife. (laughs) But I was kind of, like, because it was so... There didn't seem like there was any intimacy or romance left in that marriage. Yeah. I was kind of expecting that to be the next step. But no. He was just, like, he just wanted to be on his boat. (laughs) Yeah, which I think is... I think ultimately does make him seem like he is an actually, like, a good guy. Yeah. Like, he's someone who so desperately wishes that his marriage worked and wishes that, like, he could have everything. Yeah, or maybe that he could be different and open up, but he's just not able to. I feel like throughout this documentary, there's this tone that, like, if he had just gotten help or, like, Mm -hmm. he had just, like, had more security in himself, he could have been, like, so much happier than he was Mm -hmm. um and i think they they really have that sympathy for him and they don't give that to britain i don't think there's a point where they're like you know if she just liked herself like she would have been the best person in the world they they don't give Mm -hmm. her the same kind of reverence yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. this is when they're all about to reach their breaking point uh britain turns 40 they're talking about how obsessed she is with her appearance um and this is just pushing her to do drugs even more. And again, though, when he goes around saying, like, a beautiful woman like that, like, why would she be interested in me? He's still, he's building up this image that, like, you need to be beautiful. You need to be perfect. And yeah, that's, I understand those pressures, especially wanting to be an actor and trying to have this unattainable, you're never going to achieve that level of perfection in this industry. It's just not going to happen. Absolutely. It is very interesting, though. They Everyone, I think, makes a point to say that she was a great mother. Yeah. So I was like, oh, at least (laughs) they're telling her she can't be an actor and (laughs) she only has, like, her looks to offer the world. They are saying that she was a very, like, kind and loving mom. But I don't think that was enough for her. No, to be I, don't think so I think she's like, okay, whatever. No. Anyone can be nice. Anyone can be a good mom. I'm gonna be famous. Like uh, you said, man, just a little bit of like counseling could yeah. have turned this whole ship around. Just a dash of therapy, just, yeah. perhaps. <laughs> um, so at this point, she starts taking Zoloft, which is an antidepressant. Um, but she's mixing those antidepressants with cocaine and alcohol, which is always a recipe for a great time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, what did you think about the whole uh, John Lovitz and Andy oh Dick gosh. falling out that came out of nowhere? Yeah, it really did. Well, so she had actually gone to rehab, right? Like twice or yeah, once or they, twice before. She was like trying to get she better. She was trying to get better. And then it comes out that like Andy Dick one time 
gave her a bump of cocaine at a party, not knowing she had a problem. Yeah. Because let's be honest, back then, cocaine was everywhere. Yeah. I mean, everybody, no one seemed surprised that she was doing it. Everyone seemed to have some on them. So I don't think anyone really thought, oh, I have a problem, or maybe this person has a problem. Yeah. So he, like, gave his friend's wife... <laughs> A bump of cocaine, and then people are like, "You're responsible." Yeah, I'm like what? They like they put it on Andy Dick, yeah. the most <laughs> random celebrity, yeah. to be involved in I this know. situation. I had no idea about this part. I didn't either. I didn't either. <laughs> I did not know. So uh, essentially, yeah, she's trying to get better, and then Andy Dick gives her cocaine, and then that's like right before she goes into the spiral and ends up shooting it, he Phil. made a point and to be like that was six months before well obviously yeah. things were downhill but nothing happened for six months and yeah. he was like how is this in my yeah. fault and they try to make it seem like if only andy dick yeah. hadn't given her cocaine at that party yeah and they cut to john lovitz and john lovitz is like still pissed about it he's like never forgiven he andy dick legit blames andy dick yeah. for phil Dying, and that is absurd. That's to insane. Me. Could you imagine having to like go through life knowing that people think that about First you? First of all, you lose your friend, yeah, <laughs> and now you're being blamed so randomly for him dying. Yeah, yeah, that was. I was like, wait, what is happening? Give me a documentary on this too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess maybe if he was like, yeah, I knew all about it, yeah. and I wanted to stir some shit up, yeah, then I would maybe be like, okay, Andy Dick is. Maybe evil. Yeah. But that's he not... just liked to party. God, yeah. Everyone did. I it honestly was like don't the think 80s he... and 90s. Yeah. I don't think he thought much of it. No. Um, so now we are getting into the actual incident in question. Mm. Um, and they actually do spend a lot of time on this. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting because I think... Uh, I, I don't know. As someone who's watched a lot of true crime or is into it, how did you think like the structure of this documentary was compared to others that you've seen? Well, like I said, most I was so curious about her childhood and his childhood because mm-hmm. I do think it plays a big factor. And then there were a lot of things that happened once they were describing. I'll let you do like the step by step. But once they were kind of into it, there were a lot for me gaps in time. And I was like, there's no speculation. Like we don't want to discuss like what is yeah. happening in those those time frames. So I definitely, as a true crime like fan, have my own theories. And yeah. a lot of that wasn't really touched on which I guess is what you want to do in a documentary not give yeah. your own bias opinions <laughs> but still I was like oh I have to know what happened in these gaps of time because yeah. I don't know how involved some of the people are I, I think maybe they have more involvement than mm-hmm. has been let on so I for me I still feel very kind of unfulfilled like yeah. I don't feel like I have the whole story yet Maybe that's just me wanting to think that there's more, that this makes more sense somehow, but... Yeah, I mean, I think because this is a murder-suicide, and it's a pretty open-and-shut case, I think that's why it didn't lead to a lot of speculation. Mm -hmm. Because there's no question as to, like... Who did it? Yeah, right. There's not, like, a search to, like, unravel the mystery. Um, And the two people who would know the most about it are the two people who are dead yeah so i do think her friend knows more ron ron Uh knows more or did more than he's letting on in my opinion as like a true crime i feel like there's always more that comes out later Mm -hmm. and for me like i said there's there are gaps 
big gaps of time yeah. that I'm like, what happened then? Ooh. What were you guys doing? Yeah, <laughs> that is interesting. Well, let's go through it step by step and get into that a little bit more. Um, so the day in question is, well, it starts off on May 27th of 1998. Um, so that night, Bryn goes out with a friend around 7 p.m. They're partying. Um, she's basically talking shit about Phil the entire night. Mm -hmm. um, then she goes to the house of her friend slash former lover. And I don't even know that they were necessarily like partying super hard. Didn't they just get a few drinks? And Bryn wanted to like keep the party going. And then her friend, her like, friend nah. was like, nah, I thought we were just like getting some cocktails. So yeah, she was, Bryn was like amped up. Agreed. Yeah. Um, so she goes to her friend Ron's house and is all talking shit about Phil once again throughout their entire conversation. At this point, it's like late in the night, so... Her friend Ron, though, mm -hmm. was also her lover before yeah. she met Phil. So I don't think... Uh, it gets a little... Here's where it starts to get complicated for yeah. me. <laughs> where she's pissed that his ex-wife sent Phil a letter, but she can go be friends with someone she yeah. also had an intimate relationship with. Do you think there was like a romantic involvement yeah. with them? I think she was cheating on him mm -hmm. for sure. Probably. I think she, but I think again, it was one of those things where I'm also like, I don't know that I can blame her so much if she's feeling so insecure and like he's never home, he's never around, and you need that intimacy. Mm -hmm. I think it's easy to hook up with someone you've already hooked up with. True. I do think that they made such a point that he was so faithful and they completely skip Didn't over the say fact anything about her yeah. yeah that's what part of what made me think like maybe, maybe. she was the one <laughs> because you think they would be like but you know both of them i will say were mm -hmm. like never looked at another person yeah where they were like he said like no women on the boat and like you couldn't bring yeah any females around yeah it is interesting that there's some they really focus so much on the substance abuse mm -hmm. that there's a lot of other elements that i don't know that they really hit on yeah, for I just, whatever reason. I found it very interesting when she needed someone to talk to, to turn to, yeah. she went to an ex-lover. Yeah. That, for me, says something. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, <laughs> and later, he's like her biggest confidant. Mm -hmm. So so at this point, it's late in the night. Uh, it's now May 28th, 1998, and she goes home. It's implied that her and Phil start another argument at this point, it's like one o'clock in the morning and their children are in the house. Mm -hmm. Their children have been put to bed. And to me, like the kids are the worst part of all it's, of this. That's, yeah, it's so heartbreaking. And even the end, just when they touch on them, I'm, I can't. It's too sad. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so her and Phil are in the middle of the argument. We don't know what it's about. Again, like... These are things that we know happened, but since the two people who would know what happened the most can't vouch for anything that occurred, it's very shaky on what the actual details are. What mm -hmm. was discussed, for how long, like how intense. We do know that she was drunk and high. That's yeah. basically all. <laughs> Absolutely. So those are, that's never really a good combo. <laughs> yeah. She's drunk, she's high, he's trying to go to bed, yeah. and they talk about how... You know, when dealing with conflict, he t 
tended to avoid things mm-hmm. and would just kind of leave yeah. or go to sleep. Yeah. Um, which, which that has to be angering too. Yes. When you want to fight and your husband's like, I'm going to bed. Yeah, <laughs> like, honestly. Um, but also, I mean, it must be exhausting to have to fight with someone. So every day. exhausting. I don't know how he did it. So uh, an argument ensues. It's implied that he's gone to bed. She gets her gun, goes into their room, and we're not sure if immediately or if, like, she has time to contemplate what's happening. Um, But at some point in the night, she fires three shots into, I think, his head, they said. I know he was shot at least once in the head. Mm -hmm. Um, And a reminder, their kids are... In the yeah, house. they have had two children at this point. Yeah. Um, so now it's 3 a.m. She drives down to guess whose house? Her good old friend Ron. Nope. Something. Mm, that's. <laughs> yeah. She's like banging on his yeah, door. Yeah, wrote it down. She shows up at 3:45 in the morning, covered in blood. I'm sure. And brandishing a gun. <laughs> yeah. Or, oh wait, no, she has it in her purse. Does she? Yeah. Well, yeah. she has the gun with her. Yeah. She shows she brought it, it to with him. him. Yeah. So she goes to Ron's house and she says, I just killed Phil. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Because she's probably still like tweaked out of her fucking mind. Mm-hmm. She probably doesn't even realize like the extent of what she did. Because she says it in such like, like a matter of fact way. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, yeah, I killed him. I don't know why. Which is not a normal reaction. Yeah. So, but this dude doesn't he doesn't have a normal reaction to it either. Yeah, he's very just like, ah, did you? Yeah. And I'm like, well, she's showing up at your house covered in blood and like And she has a drunk gun drunk and high. Yeah, and a And she's gun, saying, I killed him. Yeah. And you're like, but did you? Yeah. Like that's the time. The when gun you falls out of her purse. <laughs> he takes the gun mm-hmm. and then he makes he makes her like go back to the house with him. So they drive in separate cars back here's, to her house. But here's the thing. He takes the gun. He puts it in his trunk. They don't go back to her house for two hours. They oh, don't get yeah. back to the house till 5.45 in the morning. I didn't so realize there was such a gap in time. That's what I'm like. What were you two doing for two hours? And why did he not immediately why didn't you call, call the, the police? police? Why didn't you do all the things that a normal person would call if you weren't having, if you didn't have like, like intimate connection with someone? What happened? Yeah. What did you guys talk about in those two hours? No, yeah, I for sure wrote that down because I was like, what are you just going to leave? We're not asking this guy what happened. He was yeah. just like. He's not oh. in the documentary at all. No. They don't even show a picture of him. Mm-mm. We hear like his phone call later to the cops and that. To me, the phone call is also, I'm like, mm, something mm-hmm. is off here. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm just like, what were they, what could they what possibly be talking hours? about? Yeah. yeah. And also the fact that, like, their children are now at their home. He knows al- the children are there. Yeah, alone, could easily walk into the room mm-hmm. and see their father shot in because his we bed. Know, we know the children were awake, too. Oh yeah, yeah. Late, yeah. Later on, when they come back to the house, we know they heard him like fight. No, we know we heard him like fighting, and yeah, then the kids are awake when they come back. So yeah, it's, oh, it's so sad. So the yeah, it, it, you would think that. I mean, you would even think that just even if you had like an intimate relationship with someone, 
that you wouldn't take this it so wouldn't lightly. Take, yeah, and it wouldn't take two hours to figure out what to do next. Yeah, I don't know. We, I mean, we can only speculate, mm-hmm. especially since we have no idea who this guy is or mm-hmm. like really anything about. That's the thing. Him. He was there was such a mystery about mm-hmm. him where I'm just like, I need to know more about this guy because, like that you said, he wasn't yeah. involved in it. We don't know. There wasn't even a photo or anything. So I'm just like, what's his deal? Yeah, and I don't. I wouldn't say, like, I suspect that he had anything to do with it. Like, this clearly wasn't, like, a premeditated act. No, I had This was, like, a spur-of-the-moment thing. Agree. But I also think she told him things that can help shed light. Or they had to have at least talked about something. Yeah. Something happened that he's not saying. Yeah. Or they were discussing, like, what are we going to do? Like, were they maybe going to, like... Maybe he's not dead. Like, how can we... Yeah. Or like fix this, or how do we need to like get rid of his body? Are I think we gonna something... take the kids and run yeah. away together? That could two been... hours is a long time. Yeah, there was something being planned. Yeah, and the fact that she was there right before too, and, and he let her like leave his home in such an agitated state, mm-hmm. like drunk and high mm-hmm. from like when the moment she like showed up at his door. Yeah, yeah. There, there was something more going on. Well, he on said, didn't he say like they drank or they had more drinks when she showed up at his place yeah. the first time? And yeah, and like, why would leave? you give her more? Yeah, so he, already... yeah, he saw her leave the house clearly under the influence of multiple things, clearly agitated at her husband. I think he knew she was going home and they were going to get into a fight, and he just kept yeah. feeding her. So, not that it's his fault at all. No, yeah, of course not. But, but there's I'm, definitely more to this story. Yeah, I'm wondering if, you know, maybe he was feeling panicked. Maybe he thought that, like, he would in some way be held accountable for this because I was, of those things. I was more thinking that, like, he was still in love with her and he mm-hmm. thought if he if she kept drinking, she would go home, they would get in a fight, maybe they would break up, she would come back to him, yeah. they could hook up, maybe he could marry her and get what he always wanted. Yeah. I don't know. Just complete the cycle of people using other people. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they go back to the house. Yeah, two hours later they go back to the house. Yes. Um, he sees Phil's body, mm-hmm. and then the police are called. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point, she locks herself in the room. Mm-hmm. I forget where Ron went. Did he just he, bounce? No, he stepped outside of the bedroom to call 911. And we hear, there's a recording, right? I think, I think so. I think they play the recording. And he says, I think there's been a shooting here. After it said, he went into the room, he saw, I mean, Phil was shot in the face, in the head. Yeah. Like, you, she said that she shot him. She showed, you have the gun. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I think, literally he's like, I think there's been a shooting, like way too yeah, I mean, casual. There's something so off about the whole thing. But I, he's, yeah, steps outside and she stays in the yeah. bedroom. Yeah, I mean, perhaps he's in shock, but I yeah. mean, he has had a few hours to like Process figure it, out yeah. what's happening. But still, I mean, let, let's give him the benefit of the doubt here. Let's say he had, he participated in absolutely no suspicious behavior. Yeah. Let's say that he was just completely shocked, didn't know what to do. I wouldn't know what to do in this situation. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt at For this sure. point. But I think it's interesting, though, that he doesn't right off the bat say, she shot him. Yeah. She, he says, I think there's been a shooting Yeah, here. he's still, like, protecting her. He's still her protecting her, yeah. Well, at this point, Bryn has 
locked herself in the bedroom. They're trying to reason with her. Um, she's calling like everybody. Yeah. She's like making a ton of phone calls and I like none of these people that she called have any idea. Like they don't really understand what she's talking about. Mm-hmm. She's just like clearly cuz it's like 5:45 6 in the morning. Like, yeah. What? And I mean she's clearly like in a completely like manic mm-hmm. state at this point. Um Yeah, I don't know what happens to the, the did they say what happened to their daughter or like uh, yeah, they said at this point the cops were there and I think the friend had brought the little boy outside and the boy was with the police and then they knew that the girl was still inside and that Bryn was inside so they were kind of just surrounding the yeah, house at this Yeah, because I know there was like at least one child in the house at this point. Mm-hmm. They're the youngest, their daughter yeah. was in the house. And I think they said that like out of... At a certain point when they're trying to, like, reason with Bryn, they just realize at a point, like, there's only one way this is going to end. Mm -hmm. Like, there's no way she's coming out of that room. Yeah. They they just hit a wall where they're like, no, like, we know how this is about to go. Um, And at 6.20 a.m., she shoots herself. And it's game over. Yeah. Um... Yeah, the the cop is there, one of the officers who was, like, at the scene. He said they went in, and then they found the daughter. She was cowering in the corner. And that they had, like... She probably heard all of it and heard her mom screaming and yelling and... So sad. Yeah. I think that's the, like, biggest tragedy of this whole event, honestly, is... The children mm-hmm. and how they were really they weren't really spared from anything Mm-mm. in this scenario they were there they weren't in the room but they were in the house mm-hmm. and were clearly not really put in the position to be protected very well when no. all of this was happened all of this was happened when all, <laughs> this, when all of this happened yeah and, and to me like that's what was the most gut-wrenching and also, like, we're, we're going through this whole documentary and they're really focusing on Phil and Bryn a lot. And they really don't talk about the kids until the very end. Mm-hmm. Um, she did have, like, a moment of clarity, though. Didn't she call her... I think she called her sister or someone. And she said, like, make sure my kids know I love them. Mm-hmm. So, ugh. She yeah. knew what she was... What she had to do or what she felt she had to do. Yeah. I think that's the... Like, there's so much buildup and so much happening throughout this ser- this documentary. And then when you get to that moment where you're like, well, it's all over. Like, this is the point of no return. That's honestly, like, the saddest mm-hmm. part. Is like, you feel the same helplessness yeah. that I'm sure they felt that day. Which is insane. It's just insane that this is like a real story. Like that a relationship can devolve like into something like this. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine too? They did have her brother. Was yeah. On, yeah. Was being interviewed. But to then, to not know what happened. Mm-hmm. To lose your sister. And then to know that your sister was responsible for the death of like yeah. this beloved man 
God. Yeah, and it's I feel I felt bad every time they would cut to her brother because I could tell that, like, even though this happened years ago, it's obviously something you never fully get over. Yeah. And you could tell that he was having such a hard time of finding the, like, the balance between being like, okay, I know that, like, she did this. Like, mm-hmm. I know my sister did this. I know she's responsible for this, but, like, it's my sister. And wasn't probably the person that he yeah. knew or thought he knew. Like, you can still tell that he is, like, shaken to his core from it and doesn't really know even, like, what to do. What was so sad, too, is that he went on, said he tried to sue Zoloft. Yeah. So, I'm um, like, he is so struggling and he's looking for any reason. Like, that's not my sister. That's not the person I knew. Yeah. Something happened. It wasn't, it, like, it was out of her control. That's yeah. so sad. Because it must be so hard to be like, she just had problems and she yeah. killed someone. Yeah, I thought it was very interesting that a lot of the end of the documentary, like the aftermath, they do talk about Zoloft a yeah. lot. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's when they try, try to bring it up and they're like, well, when you combine Zoloft with all of these things and like, blah, blah, blah. And it suddenly, like, they try to twist it around to being like, it was the Zoloft. Yeah, I'm also like, did we forget she was doing cocaine and she was drunk? Yeah. Like, what? Not that we don't know that she was doing cocaine that night, but if she had a history and she had like relapsed, I don't yeah. know what would lead you to think she wasn't if she was kind of on this bender, you know? Yeah, I think um, I think that's what struck me the most about this documentary is that they're very. While I think they obviously like are hard on Bryn because mm-hmm. she, I mean, she's not necessarily like she's, she's not a the only victim yeah she's, she's, yeah she's a murderer yeah. here <laughs> she's a victim of some things but she's ultimately yeah. like responsible yeah mm-hmm. um i just think it's interesting that even though like what she did was horrible they still have like a level of humanity when they're talking about like her actual struggles and like mm-hmm. there, there's always that reminder of like yeah, but, you know, she had issues, and he mm-hmm. wasn't helping, and he yeah. had issues, and she wasn't helping, um, which is very different from other true crime shows that I've seen, because usually it's just like, this murderer is the worst person on the planet, that we have no sympathy <laughs> for this person, yeah. and the victim was like a pure, angelic, like, angel baby mm-hmm. who has never done angel anything baby. wrong <laughs> yeah. in their life. Like, if you watch... I just watched the one about uh, the Scott Peterson mm. case. Um, they, they just do that. Usually, they, they try to paint it very black and white. Mm-hmm. And in this documentary, it's, I think, sadder because they show that, like, you know... This could happen. Like if you and everyone has issues if you don't take care of them. Yeah. Like there's not much of a resolution to uh, it. I, yeah, I left feeling like I said so unfulfilled. Like I feel like there's more mm-hmm. to the story, or maybe that's just me like wanting to believe that there's more. Because like, yeah, there was kind of all of this build up, and then it was like, oh, then that's now it's over. Yeah, and we'll never still really know. Yeah, and we don't really like know what really happened to any of the families after they do leave family out of this a lot Mm -hmm. like aside from Bryn's brother like they don't really touch on that much like what happened um I do appreciate that they respected the privacy of their children Mm -hmm. um they don't really go like they don't really show pictures of them that much or like really go into 
what they're doing now or anything they gave like, like that. They like a super brief. They're like, the kids don't want to be in the spotlight. Basically. Yeah, so. which I understand and I'm happy that they didn't because like the, I mean, the last thing you would want is to like constantly be reminded of this any more than you already are going to be. Um, so I did appreciate that they had like a level of respect there yeah. for them. Um, and I didn't look up what happened to them or like try to dig deep because I was just like I didn't either it was they don't so want sad. you to <laughs> it was so sad I was just like what am I gonna say just leave yeah. them alone like yeah. they've been through enough um yeah there's really no conclusion all they try to do is kind of blame it on Andy Dick and Zola <laughs> which is a very strange ending and I felt like they really left it kind of open-ended with Zola too where they were like we didn't know the effects it had back then and I'm like tell me more wait what do, what do we know now though that we're not saying it's still around yeah exactly so I'm like what are we like kind of hinting at here that we think Zoloft was the problem I'm like you just laid out all of the reasons like why this happened yeah I don't know it was very kind of convoluted yeah i would say so pros and cons of how the documentary presented this story um how you would do how you would make it better (laughs) well i'm not a documentarian but i would say uh pros i think i think it did present new information that you might not necessarily know um especially since this isn't since this isn't like a cold case and it's not like anything open-ended, I feel like usually in true crime, there's like some sense of things being Mm open-ended where they're like, well, you know, he went to jail, but then 20 years later, we found this person's fingerprints. Right, right, right. Like, since this is so like open and shut, really. In um, a lot of, yeah, in a lot of aspects, it certainly is. Like, we know exactly kind of like, what happened in a sense yeah (laughs) who did it who's responsible we know that i think um because of that it does a good job of like presenting information that you might not have thought about before because i think when people know like definitively the answer to like who did it or like what happened they tend not to ask any more questions Mm -hmm. so people probably know what happened and don't really think why and so i think this presented new information pretty well um, I think because to like how you said they do both sides of the arguments, I think that speaks to it being a documentary in recently, right? 2019. Yeah. I think back in the day, a few years ago, it would have been like you said, like, look at this great guy and look at this evil woman who yeah. like destroyed him. Not so much anymore with all of the attention things like mental health are getting. So yeah, I liked that they were kind of like, well, he wasn't the perfect person that you yeah. thought he was. But I also think they did a good job of not making her the victim, mm-hmm. like not twisting it around in any way. I think that they did make a point to like, even when they were talking about his shortcomings, to sprinkle in like, yeah, but you know, he was trying to do this and mm-hmm. he was doing this. Like, I think they were very honest about the like, relationship. Yeah, they were, was, yeah. yeah, they were honest about like, these people were not perfect. But I don't think they did it in a way that made it seem like, well, he deserved right, what happened. Right, right. Um, which I think could like have they, that could have happened. Because you're interviewing easily. the friends, yeah. it's so easy for her brother to be like, Phil was terrible and did this and this and to yeah. blame him and for Phil's friends to be like, Oh my god, she was a nightmare. But yeah, none of them really do that. Yeah. 
And that has to be hard to not to sit down for an interview and not want to be like yeah. let out your like rage and anger. Honestly. Um cons. Did you have yeah, any tell me your cons? <laughs> <laughs> well, what are some of your pros and cons that I'll The pros I definitely appreciated that they did both sides of the story. I was not expecting that. Mm-hmm. Um I would have liked well yeah, I liked how they kind of set it up but and how they went through. It made me I learned a lot of new information, but yeah, I was like, does this really happen? Is this how he rose to fame basically overnight? Yeah. Like what? <laughs> so I was super into just how I didn't know of any of the other stuff he had done, that he was like this great artist and all of that. So I did yeah. find it very fascinating and like that they kind of touched on all these different aspects of, of his life. Yeah. Um, but yeah, my cons for sure were, I feel like the friend in the end, yeah. wasn't touched on enough or wasn't I don't know I feel like there's just something missing yeah. there <laughs> and yeah, no definitely. one else like really brought it up no one had anything to say about these huge yeah time lapse everyone like, has something what? to say about Zoloft but yeah, no exactly. one has something but to no, say like about where this. she was for all this time and what he is saying happened during that time yeah absolutely I just feel like they've missed a huge portion of like this story they could have used more time to like go more in depth into their backgrounds, into like, you know, w- like were there any cracks in his ability? Because they don't touch on if he struggled really with his career in any way. Mm-hmm. Like, are there points where like they really did seem like a good couple and like, because they they jump so quickly into like they met and at first it was great, but then it was terrible. Yeah, and they skim over like the happy part so much yeah. that I would have liked for them to get into like a little bit more build up of like, yeah, you know, they met, they seemed like a good match. Here are some of their good times. Here's some of the qualities that I think like people liked from them. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of just hopping in so quickly to being like, and it was awful. <laughs> or more, yeah. And more to kind of what she was doing, like before they had kids and even yeah. while she was raising them, they very briefly touched on like, oh, she had like a bit part in this and had like a line in this. And like, that can't be all that. Yeah. Like, tell, I wanted to know a little more about what was going on with her own life outside of him to yeah. help kind of, I don't know, paint more of a picture, I guess, to see. They did both sides of the stories in like the relationship aspect, but I guess because it was about Phil's life, obviously that had more yeah. focus. But still, I was like, what else was she out there doing? Yeah, absolutely. They didn't really indicate if there was, like, a pattern of her her, using people or, like, what her past relationships were like, which Mm -hmm. is interesting. They don't focus as much on her, which I feel like it's usually flipped. I feel like Mm -hmm. usually in true crime, what we're seeing is, like, we're touching on the victims a little bit. You're getting, like, a sense of their personality, Mm -hmm. but it's mainly focused on the suspect. Yeah. Um, either the confirmed murderer or someone who they think did it. Um, and you're really scrutinizing that person and really diving into like that person. Um, and it was switched in this case because yeah. he's more well known. Yeah. yeah. Because he's more well known and because like, they're like, oh, we don't have to speculate. So like, there's no yeah. real reason to like get into it. Mm-hmm. Um, which was very interesting to me. Yeah, and I do think they still did a good job, too, because, like you said, there really isn't a whole lot of room for speculation. We know who did it. But 
we still wanted to watch it. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it still kind of had that buildup where I'm like, I know what happens. I know what's coming. And I'm still, like, into it. It still yeah. kind of has me hooked. So, mm-hmm. I mean, good for them. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so tumultuous mm-hmm. and just, like... Like, everything just seems, like, shot out of a cannon. It's frustrating because you're like, I know where this is headed. Yeah. How come you can't see where this is headed? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I highly recommend it, you guys. It is sad, definitely. You you need to prepare yourself that you're going to walk away feeling really bummed out. Yeah. But, true crime will do that, too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but if you're into true crime and you want something a little bit different... I, I think this is one of the more different, like, documentaries mm-hmm. I've seen about true crime. So I would highly recommend. Um, I personally watched it on Hulu. You watched it on I ABC, I streamed right? it right yeah. off of ABC, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I would encourage you guys to check it out. Um, was there anything that you wanted to plug or anything like that? If not, well, I'll just cut this part, but... Yeah, I mean, if you're into true crime, (laughs) which maybe not all of your listeners are, but if you want to hear more really sad, depressing stories, uh, I had a podcast. It had three seasons. It's called Shadows on the Wall. It's Mm -hmm. on all, like, the major platforms. But it's pretty heavy. I mean, I'm definitely a true crime buff, so I cover a lot of really horrific murders and things like that. So it's not for the faint of heart. Like I said, I was really into true crime, but we covered paranormal stuff, cults, Mm -hmm. things like that. Um, ghost stories too just basically like a scary story podcast Mm -hmm. so we would each tell each other a story every week and just kind of comment on the story back Mm -hmm. and forth and give our little thoughts I like to think I solved a lot of crimes (laughs) (laughs) with all my speculations (laughs) but to date I have not (laughs) awesome yeah well go check that out you guys I'm really excited I'm gonna start listening you should thank you now that I've like now that I've watched this documentary and you I'm gotta like, I gotta get true hardcore crime. into yeah. true crime. There's yeah. a lot out there. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll have to start with that. You'll have to come on for another true crime. I want to get good at like the true crime recap oh, thing. Oh, I've got some recommendations for you then. I'll send some stuff oh, awesome. your way. <laughs> it's hard to be like, okay, how much levity am I supposed to have here? It's so and hard. Like, we try to, yeah, on our podcast, we try to keep it light too because it's so, some of it is just so sad. Yeah. And you're like, how do I not just start sobbing and I feel like a lot of ways we cope with really tragic things are through comedy so yeah that's why we need things like sketch comedy and <laughs> it's like how do I describe this woman killing this her husband and then murder. herself yeah but in like a fun but like, like back way yeah. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> well um thank you so much this was super thank fun you. thank you for listening to unwatchable you guys I will see you next time